KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, we're going to hear from John Cusack. He's coming to Bass Concert Hall in Austin, Texas on June 15th for a screening of High Fidelity, followed by a question and answer with KUTX DJ Susan Castle. KUTX is the radio station in Austin, Texas, where we make this podcast. And this is exciting, especially if you're like me and you've not so secretly been waiting since you were... 14 years old for Lloyd Dobler slash John Cusack to show up outside your window holding a boombox over his head, preferably one that is blaring in your eyes. Like I know that's say anything that high fidelity, but still, I'm excited. And when I found out that I would get to talk to John Cusack for this podcast, well, I was really excited. I got to talk to John by phone, and he told me about a band he heard when he was a teenager that opened him up both musically and politically. When I heard The Clash, I remember when I heard Armageddon Time. A lot of people won't get no supper tonight. A lot of people won't get no justice tonight. And the battle is getting hard in this Irish Armageddon Time. And then I was looking at the record sleeves and record stores for um, what they were talking about and singing about. And, uh, you'd see the double box set of Sandinista and you realized that they were talking about the uh, exact opposite of what Reagan, who Reagan was calling a freedom fighter and you realize, wow, these guys really know their politics and they're talking about stuff that's really going on in the world and um, it was pretty much an eye-opener. For the very first time ever when they had a revolution in Nicaragua was no interference from America Human rights in America The people fought the leader and our people who With the Washington bullet, what else could he do? Was it something, I mean, were you kind of tuned into politics and, and world events in general when you were a kid? at that time yeah but you also but, but my point is is that you, the music also brings you there you know the music also because you're listening to different music that is and, and musicians who are you know they're bringing in the clash was bringing in uh dub and they were uh jamaican music and um all the different influences and um so i think music would take you around the world too it would reflect those politics Suspect, 
know, do it yourself. Um, you know, better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. Um, and um, you know, also to use um, anger as a as a fuel to get up into bigger, higher worlds, but never as an end in itself. Um, and price of admission that you got to think. That's what I got from the clashes music. London calling to the faraway towns Now war is declared and battle come down London calling to the underworld Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls London calling, now don't look to us Phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust London calling, see we ain't got no swing Except for the rain of the truncheon thing you grew up going to record stores, much like Rob in High Fidelity, right? Yeah, 100%. So was that what led you to want to adapt the book? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I'm not quite as OCD as a guy like Rob. You know, I'm not as much of a collector and don't have my things autobiographically um, labeled and categorized, sort of like that. I'm not that way, but uh, I think, you know, Anybody who thinks that they have taste has sort of that elitist snob thing going on that the guys at the record store have. And um, I certainly, when I was growing up, was you know that was where it was kind of like the coffee shop, or it was kind of like the place you'd go, and you'd you'd hear new things, and you you know you'd hear what they were playing in the music store, and you'd be talking to people about I don't know David Bowie or all that stuff. And uh, we were at that time that we were very obsessed with. British New Wave and the punk stuff. And the record stores in um, England were very obsessed with uh, R&B and soul, American R&B and soul. But once you sort of took away that, you know, or reversed that, it was the same guys talking about the same thing, same guys and girls. John Cusack, along with D.B. DeVincentis and Steve Pink, adapted the screenplay for High Fidelity from the book by Nick Hornby, and they also chose the music for the movie. Now, I had read that they listened to, like, 2,000 songs to come up with 70 music cues. John actually told me that sounded like a really conservative estimate, like, they listened to a lot more songs than that. But I wondered how they knew. How does anyone know what the right music for a scene is? Well, you just, you know, you can have any theory you want about a song, but then you put it up to picture and, and then it either amplifies the scene or changes the scene dramatically in some way that you can't quite um, quantify, but you know you know when you hear it. Yeah, it's it, it's like the, the scene in High Fidelity where that Dylan song is playing in the background when Rob is standing in the rain and it's kind of this, that song carries so much emotional weight in that scene. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I remembered I was lucky enough to get uh, Dylan's music for a bunch of my films, and then one of them, uh, I mean, most of the time is as, as good a cue as you could ever get, and obviously, you know, you hear, you hear Bob Dylan's voice, it gives enormous gravity and weight to what is otherwise a very comic and slapstick scene, really. But it, it, it gives both at the same time, so it, it makes it a, it expands, it expands the sequence. Most of the time I'm clear focused all around Most of the time I can keep both feet on the ground I can follow the path 
ticket When the road unwinds I can handle whatever I stumble upon I don't even notice She's gone Most of the time But I've always been, you know, somebody who takes music very seriously that way, not, you know, it's not background music, it's real fuel. Most of the time It's well understood Most of the time like I said, John Cusack is coming to Austin for a screening of High Fidelity, followed by a Q&A with Susan Castle. And he's done a couple of these events. In fact, he'll be in San Antonio the night before at the Tobin Center for the Arts doing a similar thing around Say Anything. And I wondered what it's been like for him to review these movies with an audience and then interact with them afterwards. Well, people seem to be, uh, you know, it's nice to see that people seem to get, you know, they make that the movie, the films make people feel good and they feel connected to them, and so that's very gratifying. And then some of the screenings, uh, I've only done about two or three of them, uh, you know, it was very interactive. Like, it was almost like Rocky Horror. People were, they knew all the lines, and they were sort of screaming, screaming them out and, uh, in anticipation. So it, it was pretty rowdy, which I thought, oh, it's really, really heartening. <laughs> right on. I just, speaking of rowdy, I just, Jackie Fuller, who's our assistant program director, just told me that she thinks that the world premiere of High Fidelity was in Austin during South by Southwest. Is that, is that right? It could be. Um, I mean, I remember we did a premiere in Chicago, and I don't know if we did Austin first, but it might be. Well, I, I guess Doug Samet just died um, in November of 99, and so it would have shown in March of 2000. And when Mendocino played, she said that everyone in the theater just started, like, hooting and hollering and screaming. So maybe there's always been an interactive component to High Fidelity. Yeah, I think so. And this is Mendocino by the Sir Douglas Quintet. It's in high fidelity. And if you go to the Austin screening on June 15th at Bass Concert Hall, like when you hear this song, feel free to get a little rowdy. Give a shout out. Show your Austin pride. I mean, seriously, you can start off showing your Austin pride. You're Gonna Miss Me by the 13th Floor Elevators starts off the movie, man. And you can start thinking of the question you've always wanted to ask John Cusack because he will be taking audience questions. I'll post a link to the event on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. You can also find tickets at TexasPerformingArts.org. And as always, on the show notes page, we'll have a Spotify playlist where we have all the songs that we referenced in this episode so you can hear all the songs all the way through. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Kelly Seal is our excellent intern, and thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.
KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org and we'll see you there.